Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There's uniqueness to Cleveland baseball, even down to the mustard. Since 1973, opening day of Major League Baseball in Cleveland has featured the ritual drumbeat of the team's Uber fan, John Adams, who provides over the back row of the left field bleachers with his mallets and his big bass drum. This year, however, Adams is recovering from heart surgery, so the team called on another drummer of some renowned Akron native Patrick Carney, a huge Cleveland fan who also happens to be the drummer for the Black Keys. The Grammy Award-winning rock duo released its 10th studio album, Delta Cream, this spring. Carney, who is 40, has been attending games since he was five or six years old, he says. These days, he lives in Nashville. Still, it's a sure bet Carney will be beating the drum for the Cleveland baseball team next year and beyond. I'm LaChina Robinson. Those sweet, funky sounds you hear are the Budos Band. And this is Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. Now, please welcome Patrick Carney, Cleveland baseball, huge fan. Thank you so much for joining us on Huge Fan. It's great to have you with us today. Let's start at the beginning. What are your earliest memories as a Cleveland baseball fan? Probably around 86 or so when I was six years old, um, going to the game with my dad and and my brothers and um, another family and uh, eating a hot dog. (laughs) I remember that the tickets were like $3 and uh, no one was in there. But I got very familiar with the roster around 87, uh, 88. I was a super fan. I just was obsessed with Joe Carter and uh, Julio Franco. You know, the movie Major League came out probably you know, a year or two after I got into the team. And it was just like, there's a destiny here. They're going to be good one day. It was just amazing the following, you know, six, seven years watching Cleveland start dominating and go to the World Series twice. It was incredible. My dad, he worked at the Akron Beacon Journal, the newspaper in town. And a bunch of people in the newsroom bought four season tickets or something. And so he got 13 games or something. Somehow he won the lottery to get the tickets to, I think it was game six of the World Series against the Marlins. And he took me and uh, Cleveland lost and it was snowing. Here is this expansion team from Florida winning the World Series. I completely gave up on baseball, really, for about the following 10 years. I just couldn't. I couldn't do it anymore. When I moved to Nashville around 2010, my neighbor, who became my best friend, Courtney Little is his name. He's obsessed with the Cubs, and he got me right back into baseball. So for the past 10 years, I've just been obsessed with it. 
You mentioned your dad and how he was an integral part of your love for baseball there at the very beginning. But from what I understand, he was also a huge influence on the music side as well. So when did baseball and music start to intersect for you? I played Little League. I was on this team when I was nine and we were just terrible. We were all first year players and we just lost every game. The next year, we were all on the same team, and now we were like the oldest kids in the league, and we won like every game. It was like kind of an important life lesson, I guess, going from worst to best. I stuck with baseball, but eventually, like certain dudes were just <laughs> way better than I was. And around that time, my dad kind of introduced me to Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, then Nirvana's record Nevermind came out, and I was still into baseball. But I was not really playing it anymore. I was watching it and I was playing music. So around the time I was like 12, I just made the switch. Slowly, I just kind of went more and more into guitar. By the time I was a teenager, I was a little conflicted as to how to be a baseball fan, but not be a jock. But, you know, that's an everyday battle for me. When I tell people I'm into baseball or sports in general, I'm completely obsessed with sports, really. People are sometimes kind of shocked because, I mean... I'm a music nerd who's also obsessed with sports. There's actually quite a few of us. And that's okay. That's exactly why we have you on the Huge Fan Podcast, because uh, music and sport can coexist. Now, sticking with that intersection, you yeah. said it earlier, the movie Major League. That movie has been credited for inspiring walk-up music for closers, right? Now, as a musician and a fan, how does the walk-up music and stadium sound enhance the game for you? For me, it's cool. I just think it's one of the coolest aspects of baseball that a player gets to pick what they walk onto the field to. I think my walk-on music would be Purple Haze. Ooh, that's a good one. Just, just <laughs> Why the intro, Purple Haze? The demonic, uh, 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 I think it's just very cool. It's kind of reminiscent of the wild thing. I love that. I love that. I haven't yeah. picked out my walk-up music quite yet. Um, but I just have a feeling it'd be something Beyonce inspired. Like I would need to uh, capture the essence of her perfection <laughs> cool. and live in dreamland for a minute to really get up there and try to do something special. So when you think about Municipal Stadium and you mentioned those early games, six years old, what are the sights? What are the sounds? We know they're hot dogs there, but what else makes that <clears throat> game day memory so special for you? I remember being completely aware of how ugly their uniforms were. And also looking around and, and realizing how many bad seats there were. There were beams everywhere. If somehow they had sold all, whatever, 70,000 tickets in there, a good 10,000 of them would be behind beams. One of the earlier, earlier games we went to, we sat behind uh, some of the family members that owned Burtman's Ballpark Mustard. There's kind of a story that most people don't know who aren't Cleveland that there's a specific mustard that they use in Cleveland called Ballpark Mustard, and they've used it for a long time which is an integral part of a Cleveland baseball game. And in the 70s, the Burtman family partnered with an investor to try to like take the brand nationally. And they got completely hosed and a, a brand of mustard called Stadium Mustard, which is the exact same thing, <laughs> launched. But I think that that was an integral part of early understanding of Cleveland. It's just there's uniqueness to Cleveland baseball, even down to the mustard. And it's the only stadium in America that serves it. Buy it on Amazon. I, I highly I recommend ordered. I was going to say, do you have some in your fridge like always, right now? Always. Oh, always. I love it. I love that. When I first started dating Michelle, she hated mustard. I was like, you've never tried ballpark mustard. And now she's obsessed with it. She's obsessed okay. with mustard. Is she obsessed and with then, Cleveland baseball? That's the question. Yes, now she is. <laughs> 
So I know that you played pitcher and catcher. And when you think about some of your favorite players of all times, you've mentioned, um, you know, a couple of them, Joe, Julio, who are some others that stand out to you? And are they position specific for you? I mean, there's just so many players through the years that I was, you know, into whether it's Greg Swindell or Tom Candiotti, you know, whatever. I'm trying to focus on like right now. And I, I love watching Tristan pitch. I think he's going to be a great pitcher. And uh, Bieber, you know, amazing. Currently, my favorite batter is Ramirez. I love his attitude. I end up being less of a fan of players and more. I'm just a fan of Cleveland baseball. You know, it's like a old school fandom. I was talking to my buddy about Cleveland fandom and how he's, you know, a Chicago fan. And it's, just, it's kind of like, this Midwestern thing where like you put on sports radio in Cleveland and half of it is just people hating on the team. <laughs> After the home opener, I heard everybody, all my friends in Akron and other on the radio, be like, oh, get ready. We're going to have a hundred losses this year. <laughs> like, oh, God, no. if you're a lifelong Cleveland fan and you've watched them be dismal many times and you've now, I've seen them be great many times, you realize like there's an injustice to the economics of baseball. Cleveland is at the bottom end of that financial spectrum. And the only way to compete is to have an insane farm system, which they do. When they have a, a young team like they do now, it's like you've got to have faith that people are out there finding the right dudes. And I always do. you know. And I don't think anybody was expecting the Indians to go to the World Series in 2016. I wasn't. But by the middle of the year, it was like pretty obvious the team was insane. Yeah. Like, holy smokes, this is happening. <laughs> yeah. I well, got to I know- go to that World Series. Well, I went with my friend to Wrigley Field and watched Cleveland win. So my first time at Wrigley, I see the Indians win a World Series game, which is amazing. And then I got to go to Game 7 in Cleveland, and they lost. But it was it was a good game, and I got to sit like right behind Bill Murray. So I got to watch Bill Murray witness the Cubs' first World Series win since like 1908 or something, which was pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, I hate to bring this up, but since we're on the topic, Cleveland is now the city that has gone without a World Series title the longest. Talk about not only losing that series, but now having Chicago pass off their losing streak, man. That's got to be rough. Well, I'd rather have uh, the record for something. So at least we can be, (laughs) we can hold that title. The last time that Cleveland won a World Series was 1948. My dad was born in 49. I'd just like to see them get a win during my dad's lifetime. That would be uh, good for me. That would be it. Well, we did talk to Drew Carey about the energy in Cleveland after the Cavs win, just, you know, the morale thing and how that all can play into the energy. And he said, you know, that everyone in Cleveland thought, oh, we can win it now. Now we got the jinx out of our system. Do you agree with that at all? Uh, Yeah. I had a lot invested in Cavs basketball during the bronze tenure. And once they one and LeBron left that I've kind of tuned out for a while hopefully I'll get back in the spirit but uh that was an incredible night watching them win so in the great state of Ohio both Cleveland and Cincinnati have major league teams um how does the regional rooting break down the state like where is that dividing line and how does everyone decide who they're going for my understanding is around Sandusky it breaks down and people switch over to the Tigers like around the Toledo area. And then around Youngstown, it's up for grabs at your Pittsburgh or Indians. And Central, it's no man's land. You can do anything you want. You could be Cubs fan. You could be Reds. You know, the weird thing about Northeast Ohio is that there's plenty of people that have college allegiance, but there isn't like a uniform, like college kind of team. 
So I, I didn't really grow up watching college sports, even though Ohio State is such a thing. I would watch football occasionally. But I, and it wasn't until I moved to the South that I started watching more college football. But, you know, I think that there is a, a true hatred between Steelers and Browns fans. <laughs> it's just amazing. When the Browns left, I mean, it was kind of amazing watching to see people slowly have to adopt rooting for the Steelers for a while. <laughs> oh, that's rough. Not what I you want to do. I mean, I'm a huge Browns fan, but I respect the Steelers. How do you feel about uh, the whole name conversation? I'm all about the change. I felt uncomfortable with the name for a while and I stopped wearing Chief Wahoo hats years ago. You have a son, Reese, and he's very small and very adorable, as I've observed on Instagram. But how would you carry the tradition of Cleveland baseball on with him, maybe the way your dad has with you, if you haven't already started? I've already started. He watched me uh, at the game the other day hitting the drum. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got the hat, he's got the glove. The challenge for me would be just making sure we get him to games. You know, I think that that's a really crucial thing to go to the stadium, see it happen as a kid. The MLB app is amazing. Um, And uh, for when I'm on tour or just in Nashville, I can watch every game. And I do. And keeping up to speed won't be hard. I mean, that's why I know so many Cubs fans because that was like, you know, in places where they're like Mississippi, where there are no teams. A lot of guys I know would maybe be Braves fans or Cubs fans because those are the only two teams that were nationally televised on, on cable. But now, you know, the app is cool. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Game Day. All right, let's change gears and talk about game day. John Adams, the drummer, is a legend in Cleveland baseball. I don't have to tell you. He missed the home opener this season for the first time in 48 years, which was just unbelievable. What a run. Uh, But he was recovering from heart surgery. You filled in for him. Now, is it true that you reached out to offer your services to fill in for the drum legend? How did this come about? I'm friends with a guy named Court Berry Tripp, who works with the team. When I found out about John, <clears throat> I texted him and kind of asked, like, do you think John would want me to come do that? If you guys have any interest, you know, let me know. And so they checked with John and I got on the phone with him. I just wanted him to know that it was like, you know, not filling in for him, but like, you know, paying respect to him. You know, I wouldn't want to see someone else playing drums for the Black Keys. It would bum me out. 
you know, I'm happy to have been able to go do that for him. I hope he's back up there later this year. Did he offer any advice at all? Well, I got to meet him in 2019. I took my dad to the game for his 70th birthday and we got to go in the field and he got to meet Lindor. And I went out to the bleachers and played with John Adams for any. He showed me the ropes, you know, there is kind of a method to the madness. What is it? What's the method? Well, the method is like, you know, it's you're really only doing it unless there's a big play. And when the tribes are batting, right before the pitcher sets up, you, you're hitting the drum. That's it. <laughs> so post-event, post-happening, what was the most memorable part? And were you tempted to mix in some Black Keys beats or freestyle at all in there? I was encouraged to, but I um, I don't know. I just felt like it was um, too, maybe it would have been too flashy or something. Yeah. I just kept it traditional. I kept how John would have done it. So, but you know, the coolest part for me was afterwards, you know, walking through the uh, stadium and first of all, being around people for the first time in a, in, a, in a year. And secondly, the seeing how many people understood the gesture, you know, and we're rooting for John. That was cool. Yeah. Man, performing in front of an audience. I mean, that must have been, it's been a while, right? I was a little nervous, I gotta say. I mean, it's really easy what I was doing, but, you know, it's uh, when you're hitting a drum that loud and you've got to not be afraid to whack it. Um, but my ears were ringing for days after that. A little birdie told me that you have an interesting story about being recognized at Municipal Stadium. Uh, <laughs> what was that like? It was at the World Series. I was in line. It was like, you know, 50 people back. And, you know, I have to pee so bad. And finally I get up and someone's like, you know, calling out my name was to get like the ultimate men's bathroom stage fright. And I was just standing there having to pee, but couldn't go. It was horrible. <laughs> you that know, back in the day, back in the day at the old Cleveland stadium, the men's rooms were just like legendary. They were just like these bathtub troughs. They, it was so disgusting. It was amazing. <sighs> I know. All right, last game day question. As a baseball fan in general, what are your thoughts about the Astros and the whole trash can treatment from the fans um, coming off of the whole cheating scandal on their way to the World Series title? I think it's cheating. (laughs) And I don't know. I don't understand how they still have the pennant. I don't understand how any of that worked. And uh, I got into playing golf, and you got to be honest, and we were playing sports. You know, it's very easy to cheat at golf, but it, it eliminates any element of fun. But when it's like, how long some... does that last? Like, how long will, will they be harping on this? I mean, for me, as long as Altuve is on the team, I mean, I keep bitching. I mean, that whole scene of him coming around third base and waving off people and touching his chest is completely crazy to me. I, as a fan, almost want to almost boycott the whole sport for the following season when I found out just... Wow. It's terrible. And there's nothing worse than a sore winner, you know? No, I agree. I mean, it's a tough pill to swallow. In a championship, it's hard to get to that moment. And there's nothing worse than a sore winner. When I'm watching someone like Josh Gordon, you know, struggling with just smoking weed, which, by the way, most musicians I know use that as a medicine. When I watch someone like that get kicked off of the team, their life dragged through the trenches. And then no penalty, really, for people who just cheat. I mean... It's completely crazy. Yeah. You got to really think about what's going on there. There's talk of Connelly's Rice being baseball commissioner. I wish that she was. She wouldn't put up that shit. Yeah. She wouldn't put up with that at all. Come on, Condoleezza. 
All right, so a music question. Um, the Black Keys, 10th studio album, Delta Cream. Your bandmate Dan said you all made this record to honor the Mississippi Hill country blues tradition that influenced you. What introduced you to Mississippi Hill country blues? It came from this band that I was a fan of uh, called the John Spencer Blues Explosion. And they made a record with a guy named R.L. Burnside in about 1996 or seven. I was in high school and... uh I never heard of RL until then, and it put this label, Fat Possum, on the map for me. I got way into it, and it was really weird because it just so happens that Dan, who I knew, we grew up right around the corner from each other, but we weren't really friends. We were acquaintances, you know? Around that same time, I realized that he was into the Fat Possum stuff, too, and it was, you know, a pretty obscure label from Mississippi, and here are these two nerds in Akron who were both into it. We came off the road off of uh, the tour for Let's Rock, and Dan was cutting something in his studio for another artist. And he had um, these two musicians up from Mississippi, Eric Deacon and Kenny Brown. Eric plays bass and Kenny's uh, amazing slide guitar player. Both guys played with RL and Junior. And Dan reached out and said, hey, do you want to come by the studio and just jam? So I went over there and we just started jamming and we, re- we recorded it. And uh, after like five hours, we had nine songs. Yeah, that's so, like, like crazy to me. Like, how does that come together so quickly? Was it just kind of bottled up? Was it because you were so connected with that musical influence? I think it's because it's how Dan and I learned to play together. You know, so it's like our first love is when, we, when I learned to play drums, it was playing with Dan, trying to play R.L. Burnside songs or Junior Kimbrough songs. So, you know, we we did these nine songs and, and then like uh, we decided to get back together the next day and just knock out two more. I had wow. to get home to put Reese to bed. Yeah, um, that's important. Yeah, it's my time with him. The thing is, is that like, you just, I know so many people who, like me, I'm one of these people who like, you just ask me if I like blues music, but my first image that comes to mind is like <clears throat> some really annoying, like lawyer <laughs> playing really bad music, you know? There's so, some sort of really weird interpretation of, of blues, but blues is a it's a pretty wide spectrum. And um, it's like rock and roll is too. I hate most rock and roll. You know what I mean? I really hate most rock and roll. I love this small little portion of rock and roll. And I think that this type of blues is the blues that resonates with Dan and I. And the, part of the hard part with blues is like, how do you authenticate it? Do you have to be from the South? Do you have to be born in the 30s to play it? I don't know the answer to that. But I do know it's music is really important to Dan and I and we're trying to highlight it. Part of that is like with this record, the two musicians that we really highlighted the most, uh, Junior Kimbrough and R.L. Burnside, there's a blues trail down in Mississippi where there's historical markers that kind of highlight important places and musicians. And we were able to get markers for those guys. Wow. So help literally put them back on the map. Yeah, I was reintroduced to blues when I watched the movie Ma Rainey's Black Bottom um, recently. That influence, there was so much I didn't know and understand, but it definitely kind of just opened my mind to, hey, what happened to blues, you know, in its purest form? But that was really cool uh, for me to kind of just reconnect in that way and uh, made me start thinking about the origin and, you know, the South and um, you know, what role it all played. And, you know, I know obviously her ventures to Chicago and so on. The Midwest plays a huge role in the blues music. Paramount Records, one of the first blues record labels was in Wisconsin, you know, in Chicago and a huge impact on blues music. There's always kind of been a connection to the Midwest from the South in that way, you know, whether it's Detroit or, I mean, there's a lot of blues records that were cut near Toledo or juke joints up there. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so... 
No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Crunch Time. We have to finish up with our speed round, okay? So it's time for some rapid-fire questions to finish us off. Really quick responses. Can't take too long to think. You ready? Oh, man. Okay. All right. It's off the top. Your most prized baseball memorabilia. Signed baseball with Bob Feller. Go-to meal at the ballpark. A hot dog with mustard and onions and beer. Can't forget that. Best team jersey, red, white, blue, or gray? I'm going to go navy blue. One word to describe your Cleveland baseball fanhood. Optimistic. Greatest Cleveland MLB team. 1948. Favorite section to sit in at the stadium. After playing with John Adams, it's the bleachers now. When is the bleachers? Yes. All right. Final. When Cleveland wins the World Series, how are you going to celebrate? I mean, there will be tears when that happens. That's for sure. Tears of joy. Well, we will be here, hopefully, to have another podcast with you to talk about the glory when it happens. You're in good standing right now, so we're going to keep the luck going, hopefully, the rest of the season. Patrick, thank you so much for your time and for joining us and talking about being a huge fan. Well, thanks for having me on. You can find Huge Fan on Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other huge fans can find us. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. That'll do it for this round of Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. I'm LaChina Robinson. Until next time, keep rooting your guts out. Go Budos Band! Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.